0: source to pay rfi rfp procure to pay goods receipt accounts payable it's easy to get lost in procurement jargon but at the end of the day it's all just about buying better and that's what i try to help you with here at pure procurement Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Pure Procurement Podcast, the show where we discuss procurement technology and how it can create value for your business, make your working life better. Uh, so thanks for joining us today. Essentially, I'm trying out a new concept today that's called uh, S2P office hours or source-to-pay office hours, where I take your questions on uh, how to get more from your procurement systems, and we try to answer them and make sure that you're getting actionable value right from the start, right from the get-go uh, as we answer these questions. So who am I to give you advice? Well, if you've followed the podcast, the few uh, episodes that have been done before this, uh, you know that uh, I'm a consultant in procurement technology implementation and that uh, over the past decade I've delivered on 18-plus large-scale procurement system implementation projects across nine industries uh, on most processes and modules that support the procurement function. So I always talk about the procurement value chain. Um, so, you know, from spend ana- analytics and spend analysis at the top of the value chain uh, through sourcing, contract management, procure-to-pay, uh, accounts payable, supplier relationship management, and everything that goes through supplier networks or supplier portals. So that's how I define that, that value chain, and I've implemented modules uh, and systems across that, that value chain and all the different aspects and, and uh, categories of it. Uh, so that's my background, and, but I'm not a typical consultant, right? And uh, for one, how I would prove that to you is that I'm going to give you my frameworks and my knowledge for free today, which is not typical. Uh, and secondly, most of my clients are long-term clients, so they're folks that I've, I've worked with uh, over a number of years, um, you know, on and off on different projects as they were um working through different types of problems different types of module implementations so you know I really take the time to to build those long-term relationships with clients right so I'm not seeing new clients continuously and, and I've really invested myself in those uh, in those businesses in those relationships um, and so I, I come at it from a different angle than uh, than a lot of consultants um, so that's it. We're joined today by a very special guest who I hope will become a permanent fixture of the the podcast, and that's James Carr, our producer. Uh, he has two very important roles, the first one being to keep the trains running on time, keep me in check, uh, make sure that um, the timing of the show work and the sound quality is good. He's got me sitting in my closet for that very reason today. Uh, it's a professional
1: I... recording booth. <laughs> that's uh, right. It's very high end. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well if I tally up the
0: cost of the clothing in here I think I, I
1: was gonna say
0: yeah, it's it looks very, very nice in there. Thank you uh, <laughs> And the second one is acting as a proxy for the audience. So keeping me honest, asking clarifying questions if I've said something that uh, you know doesn't make any sense right James has some experience in the procurement space, not not that much, but uh, I think you know you'll join him on his learning journey and he will act uh, as, a, as a proxy for the audience. So thanks for joining me on the journey, James.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. This is fun,
0: and maybe you want to just tell the the audience a bit more about yourself, your background, uh, maybe how we how we got to uh, working together.
1: Sure. So um, we actually both had the opportunity to study abroad in Australia, and so we both went to the Queensland University of Technology for a semester. Uh, you might have been there longer. I went back for a. Uh... For an internship later on but yeah for that initial okay. semester we were okay my introduction to joelle was i grew up in a small town you may have heard of called vancouver but not the one in british columbia and i was from the united states and they said oh you're from vancouver you must be canadian we want to introduce you to the only other canadian on this uh this trip so please come meet joelle and we hit it off That's really it. Um, Unless you have more. No, no. A a decade later, I
0: called you to to do a podcast with me. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) No, we've enjoyed that friendship uh, since and both Mm -hmm. have interests in in media and and just special projects in general. So here we are. Uh, All right. So that's kind of the backstory where we're heading, the value we're going to try to generate for you folks on on the uh, podcast. So let's dive into some questions that... uh, folks submitted for, for this very special first episode of S T
1: P office hours. Perfect. Okay. So the first one up is Taj. He asks, supplier relationship management is an area I'm putting more effort and focus on this year with a handful of key suppliers. What would you say are the best practices? What are your suggestions for getting started with no real system for SRM besides Excel? That is what I'm using for starting up the program. So far, the initial meetings with suppliers have been good, but three out of three suppliers have taken issue with the initial baseline scoring rating. For example, if they received a three out of five in logistics area, they have been really concerned, curious about any approaches you might recommend here.
0: All right. So I think we need to, before addressing the actual, you know, what you do with your suppliers, let's take a step back and and just think about what the goal is for SRM. Uh, so, to me, I see it really as, as wanting to increase the maturity and the performance of my supplier relationships uh, to ensure that my internal stakeholders' needs are met and that I'm con- uh, cultivating innovation, operational excellence, you know, what have you with that specific supplier relationship, depending on its context. So, if we agree on that initial premise, then what I'm tempted to do to make sure that I'm focusing on the Highest value relationships is uh, do some supplier classification at the outset, right? To determine who those most important strategic suppliers are, and typically what you'll see is is you know breaking them down into different tiers or different classes or categories, however however you want to name it, right? But segregating your supplier base uh, into different classes with um, different attributes of those partnerships, right? So you might have partner suppliers where, you know, without them, your business is not able to function. Your operations don't work because you've entered into a relationship where it's very symbiotic, um, right? It might have a high monetary value, high replacement cost. uh, It has an impact on, on your company performance. Uh, You might have another tier that's more strategic suppliers where they're not, you know, they're not as uh, entrenched or uh, int- integral to your operations, but you spend a very high mo- uh, value, uh, monetary value with them. And they might be critical. The commodity you buy from them might be critical to your operations, right? And then you have commoditized suppliers, or do not do business with suppliers, right? So you're able to, to modulate those tiers based on different attributes of your business. But the, the goal is to figure out which ones are your more strategic ones. And then, based on that, what are the different types of controls and actions that you want to want to put in place for those different tiers to be able to uh, ensure that you're meeting that goal of, of looking at performance and looking at, at satisfying business need, right? So for your, for your highest partnership supplier uh, part, partnership supplier tier, you might have more um, supplier evaluations, uh, business reviews with your internal stakeholders uh kpis and a scorecard that you're looking at on a continuous basis Uh, you're going to focus more on the quality of the master data for that supplier for example and then as you move down the list of your different tiers well things are going to get less extensive less uh labor extensive right uh so so that's the initial piece on on classification and uh that's how I would approach it if it was a you know, function-wide initiative. But from your question, Taj, it seems that it's not necessarily an organizational initiative. It's more your initiative with your suppliers in, in your category. Uh, so you can do that, but on a smaller scale, right? And, and as you do this exercise of saying, well, within my category, which ones are the strategic suppliers, partner suppliers, uh, which ones are more commoditized suppliers – you'll get a sense for, okay, well, who are your key suppliers? And I think you've probably already done that based on your question, but just as a as context for, for everyone else. Um, and then f- if we focus just on those uh, strategic suppliers, right, your partners, the ones that, that that are really core to your strategic initiatives uh, within the business, uh, you want to ask yourself the question, like, what is the desired outcome for that specific supplier? or that tier, if you're able to apply the same logic to each tier, but essentially it's more at a supplier, or even at a contract level within us uh, with under a supplier. What are the, what are the, the things that we want to get out of that contractor that we want to optimize in the business uh, because of that relationship, right? Why is that supplier a partner? What are we, what are we trying to, to do uh, and then establish performance indicators tailored to that objective. right? Um, And when I say KPIs, they could be KPIs that are um, operational-based, like on-time delivery, that are very tangible, very hard KPIs, things that you can calculate by just pulling out of a system. Um, And then you could have softer KPIs or intangible KPIs, for example, sending out a survey to stakeholders that have dealt with that supplier and asking them whether or not they had a positive experience with that supplier over the given uh, measurement time period. Right. And then if they say yes, great. If they say no, provide an example, an explanation. And then when you aggregate all of that together, then you're able to say, OK, well, you had a 70 percent uh, positive experience score. If we if we look at all of the values. Right. So it's establishing those uh, those performance indicators, but also the calculation formula or the the method by which you're going to consistently pull that same data so that you're measuring apples to apples from uh, from uh, evaluation to evaluation. The second piece, and, and that might be key for you given the fact that you said suppliers didn't really know how to react to, to the scoring that you gave them, is that you communicate that you're going to start measuring on, on these KPIs to your supplier and your internal client as well. You bring everybody to the, to the table and say, you know, we're going to start measuring these KPIs. You know, what's your input? Let's, let's design them uh, together and, and buy in together uh, on, on these KPIs to help us establish common goals and uh, objectives and the expectations as well, right? Um, because I wanna establish those KPIs, but I want I also want to establish targets for those KPIs, right? If we say, and, and these might change over time, right? Because as when you establish a target, sometimes we realize after we start measuring for a while that it's not realistic uh, and we can adjust it, but at least we're, we're doing that exercise with the supplier and we're, we're figuring out, okay, where uh, do we need to f- put focus uh, with the relationship to collectively get better at what it is we're, we're trying to do together, right? Whether it be an IT supplier or a supplier that's uh, doing BPO outsourcing for purchasing a, a specific category, somebody that's working with marketing, right? You can do this, this same exercise with uh, all of those key suppliers. And what it helps you to do is establish the rules of the game before you start playing. And I do air quotations when I say that in the sense that... Um, you know, if, if you're all uh, in agreement on the measures, the targets, and that we're going to iterate on those until we're both uh, or the three parties, procurement, the internal stakeholder, and the supplier in agreement with the, the how our performance is going, um, then nobody can be surprised later on when you bring those things back up to, to, to the conversations and to the uh, performance reviews. And then the third piece, which I think, you know, you started doing is, you make sure you monitor these on a regular basis you meet with the supplier and the internal stakeholder and you develop action plans as required and then you might have different different uh, initiative meetings or status meetings on those those action plans uh you know as things start to play out um so that's at a high level what i would suggest or or how i would suggest you think about this uh, in your example taj you mentioned that um you know you had three out of five on logistics. I, I didn't have enough detail in terms of what that was based on. Um, but as I mentioned, like if your supplier has a negative reaction, it might be the same reason I'm, I'm having a bit of a reaction, which is like, I don't know what the measurement is, uh, how it's being scored, how I can influence that score positively in the future. So in, involving your supplier, uh, especially your strategic suppliers in that, um, in that exercise of crafting the measures and crafting the targets as well for those measures will go a long way into making your supplier relationship management process more fluid and uh, have better outcomes at, at the outset. So Taj, that's essentially how I would think about developing an SRM program Uh, from the bottom up. If you're doing it within your small category, you're establishing those uh, supplier classification rules for your own category. Those can eventually also be applied to other categories within your procurement function. Maybe it need to be adjusted right for other realities, but at least you're you're putting the concept and the process in place and um, your lessons learned along the way as well.
1: So that's how I think about it.
0: All right, let's move on to the next one.
1: Patrick asks, what are the top three procurement modules slash solutions to focus on if you don't have any procurement systems?
0: Okay, so here Patrick's really asking for you know that, that I'll call it low maturity, um, at least from a tech standpoint, procurement organization. They don't have any systems. Everybody's rock and rolling on email and Excel and shared drives, um, and they're looking to procurement systems to bring that maturity up to the next level. And what do we need to focus on first, right? So you'll recall at the beginning of the episode, I was speaking about the procurement value chain and the different components of that. Here, uh, really, for me, the the best place to start is a spend cube or spend analysis, which is really that first piece I mentioned on the procurement value chain. So it's bringing the data together of what your company is buying Um, So whether that be non-PO invoices or POs with invoices or P-card data, you know, bringing that all into a central cube uh, so that you can look at it, you can dissect it, uh, and you can start to have some questions around, you know, are we, how are we buying? Are we buying in the best way possible? Um, So tools like Power BI or CFO are great Places to start for that, uh, most of the source-to-pay suites as well. So, like the Ariba's, the GP, Koopa, um, Jaggers of this world, all have uh, spend spend cubes or spend analysis modules as well. So, uh, but you can also just you know extract stuff and do it in Excel. It's just that if you systematize it, then you know you have a recipe to take that. That stuff out in, in a more automated fashion um, from month to month or quarter to quarter, or whatever the time scale is that you want to look at this data. Uh, but as you're an- analyzing that data, it's going to, is that it's going to allow you to determine what your most pressing issue is. And it's also going to allow you to measure the impacts of your initiatives further down the line, right? So for example, if you're looking at your spend data and you go, ooh, okay, we need to start looking at generating value or savings uh first given categories given our spend is hyper fragmented or we see opportunities here then you're going to want to turn to sourcing and contracting modules uh, in your next phase whereas if you're if you've already got a very good stable of contracts and category strategies then you might uh, look more to value or saving harvesting right so you'll want to uh, put a p2p or ap automation module in place so that you're able to uh, bring more compliance to those contracts. People will see the contracts, will be enabled to use them with catalogs or uh, with uh, contract line items in a system, so you'll want to drive in that direction. Or you might determine you have a supplier risk, supplier data quality or compliance uh, issue, and and so you'll focus more on the SRM module after that, right? So the the visibility into your spend and the evolution of that spend over time as you do uh, different either solution or module implementations or just business initiatives uh, is uh, what I would recommend looking at first so that you're able to know drive with the headlights on essentially instead of driving in the dark um, so and then you know the sequencing of it we can we can discuss I think in another I think we have got another question later on about that
1: Thierry asks, what are the top three key performance indicators you should be looking at to evaluate the success of a source-to-contract deployment?
0: All right. So for folks who don't know what source-to-contract is, we're talking here about implementing uh, the sourcing and uh, contracting modules of a of a source-to-pay solution or, or just best-of-breed pure-play solutions that support sourcing and contract. So you'll remember the, those are the second and third blocks in my procurement value chain that I was mentioning at the outset. Sometimes uh, folks will also include spend analysis in source-to-contract. I did not for the purposes of this question, so we'll focus just on, on sourcing and contracting. So To me, the three KPIs or the the performance indicators I'd want to focus on uh, would center around confirming that I have user adoption, so making sure that all my category managers, contracting specialists, uh, whoever's working in my strategic procurement team and is running RFX events, is running contracting projects, that they're all using the tool as much as possible. Uh, And then the second piece is confirming that that adoption helps move the needle on my function's priorities. So whether that be uh, savings, cost avoidance, uh, what have you, right? The the priorities that we've set out or the objectives that we've set out as a function for that year, I want to make sure that I'm actually moving the needle on that. So I... I would have had a couple more KPIs, but I have a tendency to maybe put too many KPIs uh, when measuring this type of thing. So I tried to nail it down to three, as Thierry asked me. So the first one would be the number of uh, compliance sourcing or contracting projects in the tool versus the total number of projects that we we ran uh, during the year, right? So whether it be a sourcing project or a contracting project. And to me, I, I call those projects in the sense that, you know, we have a start where we gather requirements, and we get all the way to, uh, you know, evaluation of the supplier bids, that would be a sourcing project. And then a contracting project would be, okay, we start, uh, from a a contract template, whether it be ours or the supplier, and we bring that all the way to signature and completion and, and contract execution. That would be a contracting project. So I would look at, okay, if I, if I have a, a, a number of, of, uh, projects that we need to get through during the year, 200 of them, um, I would look at how many of those are actually in the tool. And when I say compliant projects, uh, you can determine what that means for your organization. But I would say that you know the required documentation is in the project. Um, you know We're at the correct status for the project. We've got the right people, stakeholders uh, listed in that project as well, and they have access to the material. So I'd establish a set of criteria for saying that a, a project is compliant or not. Uh, and then you might have projects in there uh, that are not compliant, right? And and that, you know, they're not, they don't meet that quality criteria. Uh, and so you'd, uh, you'd discount them as, as not being in that numerator, but being in that total number of projects. And the goal is to say, we want all of our projects to be um, documented with a certain level of quality within the sourcing and contracting tools because that's something that will help us moving forward right whether we need to reference a past contract whether we need to leverage a past event or contract for a new event or contract it's really those are the the benefits of those types of tools and then the the last piece or the second one is uh, project cycle time and or number of projects uh, over number of projects completed versus the previous period without the tool so The promise of a sourcing and contracting module is that by implementing it and by users adopting it, I'm going to be able to run through more projects over time, right? So I'm going to be able to get to more categories, more subcategories and commodities uh, than I would have previously because i am able to be more efficient using those tools and so i would want to confirm that right that we're able to run projects in a shorter amount of time versus when we ran uh, similar projects without the tool and then the third one is uh, the impact on your traditional, and I say air quotations for traditional, right, but your traditional procurement sourcing performance indicators. So we mentioned it a bit earlier, Say whether it be you're measuring savings, you're measuring cost avoidance, or any other uh, metric, what is the impact pre-tool and post-tool, and you will be able to tell that story with the previous two KPIs as well, right? So if I had to focus just on three, uh, that would be the three, right? Make sure that we have user adoption, and that that user adoption translates to benefits.
1: So that's that's it for Thierry's question. I hope that was helpful. Last question for the day comes from Patrick. How many modules should you aim to implement at once, and what are the consequences of that decision?
0: Right. So Patrick's referring to the fact that if I'm running a project, uh, I can decide to run a project where the scope of that project is implementing both the sourcing and contracting module at the same time, for example, or the spend analysis module and an AP module at the same time. So, um, so that's what he's referring to. Um, and my, my answer to that, right, if I have no constraints is one, if you can afford it. Right, So why do I say run one module at a time? Essentially, it all depends on your uh, organization's capacity to adopt change, the success in these types of projects. And the goal at the end of the project when the tool's in place is that you're going to be doing more with the same amount of resources, right? You're going to be able to get to, to, to more things. And, uh, you know, as I referenced in the previous question around cycle times, however, as you're implementing the tool, the project is a strain on your team, on your resources, on your organization, because it's a lot more things on your plate than just doing the business operations, right? So you're going to want to backfill, you know, liberate your subject matter experts to, to participate on those projects and backfill them temporarily as well. Um, it, and and if you want the best result from the implementation of a given module you want the focus to be on that module at any one point in time instead of dividing that focus on multiple different modules right so um that if i don't have any constraints is is the the recommendation for sure however it always depends on okay well what you know what type of budgets do we have uh what are the business case requirements for your business for these types of projects as well so i see a lot of businesses where it's a, a three to five year max uh, time horizon for payback of the project um, or, or things like that, right? So you need to take that into consideration. Um, and so if you have additional constraints that come into play that force you to make, to combine different modules together at implementation, there's uh, there's a, a couple of splits that make sense, right? So Sourcing and contract, which we were discussing in the previous question is a set of modules that goes well together uh, to to implement at the same time uh, because typically it's the same you know it's the procurement function, the strategic procurement function that's involved. Uh, you may have legal involved for as a stakeholder for the contracting module uh, maybe a couple key business stakeholders that are involved in a lot of sourcing and contracting projects but the the user population remains small and remains, uh, the same uh, essentially for the, both those those modules, and you may be able to include a spend analytics uh, module implementation at the same time as well, because you know it's it's still the same audience, right? So you're going to use the data from spend analysis to craft a category strategy, and then that category strategy you're going to execute on by doing sourcing events and then you're going to formalize the results of those sourcing events with contracts all within your your strategic procurement team right so it's the same user base so they can they can logically follow that end-to-end process uh, while implementing the three modules but it's a bigger scope right so so it adds risk uh if you if you do more uh, than one at a time the the other combination i see a lot is like p2p and accounts payable Uh, So, uh, procure to pay, starting at the requisition, the approvals for requisitioning, uh, purchase orders, goods receipts, uh, receiving the supplier invoice, and and proceeding to payment. That's really one end-to-end process. Uh, So, typically, we'll see, you know, you're able to combine those two. You could also do an accounts payable uh, automation tool implementation by itself as well, right? So, it really depends on on the context, but those are, are two that we see combined a lot. And then the third one, SRM, or Supplier Relationship Management, so everything around managing supplier onboarding, getting certifications, uh, making sure their date, we capture the data that's needed for, for creation in, in our backend systems, uh, such as an ERP, uh, and payment information, bank accounts, etc. That's another module uh, we usually see standing out on its own. Uh, because it, it it does require a lot of technical complexity sometimes, so I put that further down the further down the list, and, and usually we'll do it alone as well. Um, so I hope you, hope that gives you a bit of perspective, Patrick, on where I stand on this issue. Like for me, it's always about you know bringing the projects and the implementations to the most simple expression as possible, and then as we introduce constraints while well, we see what we need to do to, to meet those constraints, whether they be cost, time, etc. cetera. Um, and I, yeah, it kind of answers the second part of your question around consequences of, of that, right? We add more complexity, more interde- interdependencies that we need to manage. Um, and that in turn puts pressure on the project to cut corners around uh, so things like documentation and user training, testing. and as your your budget gets eaten up with problems that you face early on in the implementation, you tend to cut things, from the back half of the implementation to stay within budget. But essentially when you're doing that, you're shooting yourself in the foot a little bit on the longer term because you start to have benefit leakage on the project because folks aren't trained very well, Uh, the processes aren't documented as, as well as they could be. And so folks don't necessarily know how to pull the most out of the system. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's really the, the the logic or the guiding principle for that. And for organizations that would say, hey, you know, if you can't pay back in three or five, three to five uh, years, it's not worth it. I I, I kind of question that, right? I see that a lot. Um, but to me, implementing these types of systems is is a paradigm shift, right? It's it's changing the way we do business. And so uh, sometimes a longer time horizon um, will justify that decision. Right. And I always give the example of, you know, when the internet first came out and people started doing or inter- uh, companies started putting e-commerce, uh, sites in place, you know, was that a good idea? Well, it depends when you were looking at it. Right. So like Amazon was founded in 1994 and it wasn't profitable until Q4, uh, 2004. So 10 years later. And then, you know, if we look at 2020, 24, which we're coming up on, you see the story of how Amazon unfolded, right? So it's kind of the same logic with your procurement function, right? If you're thinking we're going to put uh, solutions in place for a quick immediate payoff, you may be missing the larger picture, which is where do we want to be as a procurement organization five, 10 years down the road, uh, which would change the answer to that question, right? So um, so that's how I would uh, suggest you think about that, uh, Patrick, as you uh, as you as you contemplate uh, your deployment plan for these various types of solutions within your organization. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, I hope these four questions, the answers to these four questions were, were helpful uh, to you. And uh, as always, don't hesitate to uh, reach out uh, as we ask for more questions uh, to submit yours. I'd love to uh, have you featured on a future show, and uh, a big thanks to uh, our producer, James, who's gonna make this all uh, sound so great. Thanks for tuning in to Pure Procurement, hosted by yours truly, Joel Connets de Metz. I hope you took something away from today's episode to help you keep fighting the good fight. If you have any comments or questions, you can stop by my website at pureprocurement.ca. There's a ton of procurement-related articles and resources there for you as well. If you like what you see, I'd love to count you as a subscriber to my monthly newsletter. Every month, I bring you the top five pieces of source-to-pay content I came across that month. All you need to do is to click the big button on the top right of the homepage. That's it. Thanks again for listening to Per Procurement. Until next time.